Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And we are generally a happily married couple. Sometimes we <laughs> fight, sometimes we give each other the silent treatment, but all the times we still love each other. Are you trying to communicate something? No, to I'm not right trying now? to communicate anything. I'm just trying to break up the monotony of saying the oh. same thing when we open every show. Okay. But I do recognize okay. we have new listeners on the show, so uh, we are the parents of four children, ages 10 to 3, and our conversations um, almost exclusively on this show uh, are uh, not rehearsed. We don't pre-rehearse anything. We rarely talk about anything ahead of time. We just show up, click the microphone on, and go. And Molly, we have windows in the van. Good job. What she's, you can sense I'm, her I'm... excitement just emanating from her about having windows in the cargo van. Mm-hmm. This is very cool. Next I'm... up, by the end of the week, hopefully I'll have seats I'm oozing in the with cargo excitement. van, and then I need to finish up the insulation on the floor, get the floor in. The walls are already insulated, and then it's working on building the bed frame on the little box for all the 12 volt stuff. And I got to put a fan in too. But I'm very excited. This is very cool. Very cool progress. It looks fantastic. I feel like just visually, the van went up in $10,000 in value. It, the windows do make a big difference in terms of it's a generic cargo van versus it versus has the potential to be a cool family travel van potential it is a full, cool family travel van no it's not yet yeah, it's it's potential. a rad. no you could travel in it just throw all your stuff in the back have you seen how much space is back there i have it it's doesn't insane. seem even remotely comfortable to me to sleep in right sleeping bag on the floor you're good yeah super comfortable air inflatable pad this is why molly doesn't camp because she wants a real bed so oh you guys this is cool so if, you, if you're nerding on needing adjustable bed frames for random things, you're building a set of bunk beds, you're building an elevated bed in a, ba- uh, elevated bed in a van, your, whatever you're building, Ikea makes, and I found these things to a forum, Ikea makes these steel bed frame support beams for one of their beds. It's called the Scorva, S-K-O-R-V-A. And they they telescope. One piece of steel slides into the other piece of steel, and they telescope back and forth from really, really long to pretty pretty short. Um, it's like they're built purpose-built for this sort of application. So the walls of the van taper because they're rounded. They're not perfectly square. And no matter where I decide to put the bed, it'll telescope so I can put it all over the place. And each one doesn't have to be the same, the right. same length because you can... Right, and they, if you go to the, to the parts and service department and ask for the brackets, this is true. Somebody said this on a forum, and I said, I don't know if this is true or not. But if you go ask for the brackets, they'll give them to you for free. At Ikea? At Ikea. So I have, I bought six, at $15, I bought six of these steel rails a piece. I mean, you can't find steel for that price. Mm-hmm. And then they gave me two brackets per rail for free. Oh. Which is super rad. Nice. So, there's your pro tip. If you're building something and need some sort of steel support beam that telescopes and gets to various widths. The Scorva. Scorva. From Ikea. From Ikea. And JR can put a link to that in our <laughs> show notes. You can buy it on because Amazon. It, well, it's gonna, there's going to be a ton of generic interest oh, in man. the Scorva. Right. They're going to be like, oh, you, you can... You, uh, you this... should do an Amazon link to it. So then the ton of generic interest in the um, Scorva, people can buy through our Amazon. Yes, that would be great. But <laughs> even I didn't buy through Amazon. I can get them from Ikea at $15 a pop or get them from Amazon at $45 a pop. Which is 
is what IKEA on Amazon does with everything. Right. Never buy IKEA on Amazon. So generally you might you probably have somebody like in this case my parents were coming out. That's why my parents are out here this weekend. And let me tell you it's been so rough. Just it's been I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> my mom they listen to my this mom listens to the show. She's going to be like, oh, "What? No. In fact, she's actually out teaching um uh, primarily Elise how to swim at a friend's pool right now, which is super awesome because Elise is terrified of water. So, And Grammy makes things fun, and we couldn't find a... She's not terrified of water. She's terrified of what swim lessons, the unknown things in water that swim lessons will require her to do. Oh. Huh. She loves water. You've seen her put it yeah, on she, the raft. She'll yeah, put on a life jacket and, and go float in the river. Float around. Sure. And she's not afraid of water. She's afraid of facing the water in... In this regard, at least I don't often say that Elise is like me, but in, in this regard, she is. She does not like to have things happening to her that are out of her control or, or that are unknown and therefore out of her control. I think a lot of people don't like having things out of their control and don't like the unknown. Right. But for her and somewhat less so for me, just because I've learned self-control, it it's more paralyzing than for our other kids. Right. I mean, think about our desire to want... I mean, there's the practical application of wanting to know the weather. Do I need to bring a jacket with me today because I'm not going to be home again? Practical application. But then there's the, what's the forecast next week? What's the forecast in four days from now? It's like, we'll find out in four days. (laughs) Well, unless you're packing for a long trip. Unless you're packing for a long trip. But I actually think your contemplation of the weather... And people's desire to control be lot. It, it speaks to a human sense of being bigger than we really are. In mm. that, two ways. One, I I remember noting this really clearly during Hurricane Katrina, because here's this massive weather event, and somehow it all turned out to be George Bush's fault. Hmm. And. The thousands of people who are dying and all of the the successive storms and all of these things, we have to find a person to blame for an act of God is what weather ultimately is. And the airlines, I don't know if airlines still use that, but, you know, airlines used to... Insurance you, companies still call act of, still say, you know, use the term act of God. So airlines... If you had a flight canceled and you had to spend the night because of a mechanical error or pilot availability or something like that, they would put you up. But if it was a so-called act of God, the airline washed their hands of you, they would reschedule you and they would get you to your destination. But they didn't assume any financial responsibility for the expenses that you would incur in the meanwhile because that wasn't their fault. I don't know if they still... It just seems tremendously politically incorrect to call something an act of God when most of our country doesn't believe in God. But this largesse that we feel, I don't even remotely deny the idea of climate change. What did you see the other day? It was something about dinosaurs and a mini ice age or a mini warming oh no so i we were at we were camping in rainier national park and behind the visitors center is a giant six foot cut uh from a douglas fir that that a paper company took out in like the 60s so it's this giant 
six foot thing. And like a lot of the places that Molly really liked when we visited Yosemite or Sequoia National Parks, um, they would have they would mark historical points based on the tree rings. So like one of the ones you liked was like Mount Vesuvius and everything yes, like that. Yes, on the Sequoia. Well, very cool. On this particular tree in Rainier National Park, one of the rings noted was the end of a mini ice age in the 1860s or the 1870s. I can't remember exactly what it was. Which so they means... started the beginning of the ice age. The mini ice age started in like 1400 or 1500. Uh, and then it ended in like 1860. And my brother's standing there going, huh, you mean the world's been warming up since the last mini ice age? Interesting. <laughs> this right. Is kind of funny. So, I mean, legitimately, Montana will have had probably the hottest summer on record by the end of this summer. We are on track for that. Our electrical bill from our air conditioner. I'm not even going to bring it up on the show. Well, I am. It It is a tangible demonstration <laughs> of having the hottest summer since we've moved into this house, at least, that is not efficient at utilizing our air conditioner. And yet we need to run it or else our children's bedrooms upstairs are literally in the 90 degrees. Uh, but so I don't deny I'm, I'm not a climate change denier. I question the scale of man caused climate change. And I think that those are two very different things. And I think that I wasn't going to talk about this on the show at all. This might trigger people. I I'm bring, I was going to bring up another triggering comment based on needing to control and know. But great. Go ahead. Well, anyway, I, <laughs> I, I so so if you guys Google the the traits of a cult of a cult or the characteristics of a religion, and you align that with people who are very passionate about control man man centered efforts to control what they perceive as man caused climate change there it has all of the hallmark traits of a religion or of a cult a lot of other things in our culture do too and if you take away an understanding of a biblical creator god creator and sustainer god and you understand that there is a very clear role that mankind has in in stewarding the earth that God has given to us, we should be the best stewards on earth that we know because we've been entrusted this incredible gift and privilege from the creator and sustainer of it all. And I think that a lot of Christians are actually good stewards of the earth, but the the cl- the religion of climate change has co-opted what it means to be good at caring for the earth just like they've co-opted what it means to be pro-life i mean i believe as as christians we've got a we've got a a biblical responsibility we have a tremendous mandate to steward the earth but the question is what does it look like to steward the earth and how much so my where i was going with this is the question of how much control do we actually have and ultimately the religion of climatology is is man-centered and believes that man has an opportunity has has the mandate and has the means to be the savior figure 
in this and we are we atone for our sins of destroying the earth by certain sacrifices because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin and you know how how they define shedding of blood and the sacrifices required in order to save the earth there's this this human hubris i think in believing that we have a bigger impact on the climate than we do and that our actions can have a bigger impact on saving the climate than I actually believe they can. And I also trust that if God wants the world to burn up by fire, as the Bible says that the, you know, if that happens through us destroying the ozone layer and the earth burning us up or the sun burning us up, I don't know. I'm just making this up (laughs) at this point. But I, I trust in a sovereign God who is the maker and sustainer of all of this. And my view of earth care, creation care, goes under that. But when you look at people being hysterical about climate change, and again, like I said, the Hurricane Katrina was a very clarifying moment for me in that because people who were genuinely heartbroken and horrified at the scale of devastation, both human loss as well as loss of property and pets and the economic toll that it took on many people's lives because of that event and because of genuine failures. You know, New Orleans flooded because levees were not properly constructed and they broke. And so there were genuine human failures there, but somehow we needed a scapegoat. And if I remember correctly, it became Bush and it was all his fault that this weather event took place. And I remember being very early in my professional life at that point and thinking, why do these people think that all of this devastation is the fall of, of of the president of the United States of America? Yes, he's the most powerful man in the world, but he is not God and he can't control the weather and he did not cause this weather event. But I, I just think that it's tremendously humbling and we, particularly as 21st century Americans do not like that sort of humbling. We like to think that anything, whether it be the weather or some sort of problem or an insect or a virus, can be fixed by technology. See, now that brings up kind of where I was headed there, too. It's it's that that and kind of also going full circle back to the to knowing and being feeling like we need to be in control and, and knowing things um like the weather a pivotal moment in my life was when i lot was when obamacare hit and i didn't have enough employees in my company to have a corporate uh sponsored healthcare plan so i had to cut uh all the healthcare and everybody was out on their own so <laughs> sorry guys we're all on our own so what i did Molly and I personally is we ended up going with a health sharing plan and they don't sponsor the show, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention their names. Um that's a joke. <laughs> Anybody laughing? No, nobody's laughing. Okay. Uh, anyway, so we went to a health sharing plan and by the way, you guys, whatever if even if JR isn't gonna mention their name, we looked at a variety of different Christian health sharing plans and they all seemed fairly comparable. And like they would have been good for our family. Yeah. And it's been great, to be honest. I mean, there's this weird point where, you know, they want you, you kind of do some of your negoti- your own negotiation with your healthcare provider. So it, it behooves you to shop for, you know, what healthcare service, you know, in our, in our town particularly, we have two major 
hospital, uh, system. hospital system. So anyway, I won't go into the mechanics of it, but needless to say, we don't go to the hospital anymore like you normally would if you had health insurance. Because if you go, you are charged for it right away, and you have to fund that cost until we you get reimbursed. We pay it out of and get reimbursed. You get reimbursed, and that reimbursement and typically doesn't happen. usually we're supposed to negotiate it. Yes, and that reimbursement doesn't happen for close to six months. So because of that, there's a lot of things you would normally utilize the ER or same-day care or something like that that we just don't do anymore. Like, we just we just don't go. And what it... What it realized, what it made me realize is how dependent I had become on our modern healthcare system. You know, you've got a cold oh, why or a are you sniffle. This up? You know, I could talk for the next four hours about this, but, right? But, but the point, Don't my point being, this. I didn't have this on my plan for today. Stop, no, we're not going to. My point being is like, you know, with the virus, people like I'm sick. I need to know if it's COVID. My why doesn't change anything. True. You're still if, sick. You're still going to stay away from people. You should anyway. Yeah. Well, why do you have to know? Like, what is? How does that change your circumstance? How does that change your life? Well, I just, I just know, and that changes things. How it doesn't? It's actually going to. It doesn't ele- elevate your fear and your anxiety, which <clears throat> actually has an an adverse effect. An on adverse your health. effect on your health at yes. the cellular level. Like, it's not just a psycho- psychosomatic thing. Right. They can actually see it affecting your cells. I was simply going to bring up that trigger point. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's a perfect... Like, to me, it's just a really good example of... of, Like, I've got a cold. Oh, do I have the flu? No, I don't have the flu. There's the saying that knowledge is power, right? It feels, in this case, like knowledge would be empowering. You just have to know. You just have to know. Mm. It's not. No. If you let go of the needing to know... That actually is empowering, but it takes a huge mental shift to, uh, it's not just the virus. Like I have friends who are like, well, when your kid was sick last January, was it influenza? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Nor do I care. Yeah. I I, got over it and he's still alive. Yeah. And you know, there's certain signs you can look for in, in your health that would determine if you need to go to the hospital or not. But 99% of the time, if you call them. You know, what do they do when you go in and you've got a, like a, like, oh, my, my son's been coughing. He's got a sore throat for like a week now. You take him in and they're like, oh, yeah, he's got strep throat it, or something. Or just well, strep throat, they would give antibiotics Or, for. okay, well, he's got, you know, whatever. It's a, back, antibi- it's like, it's a virus. We can't do anything yeah, for it. Call me or, you know, you call them and they're like, well, just wait 24, 48 hours and see how your symptoms are then. If it gets worse, call us. If not, By the way, I had an interesting interaction on Facebook today. And I've had multiple interactions like this. So you guys have probably picked up if you've been listening for long. I don't usually show my tinfoil hat too often <laughs> in the health regard. But we just told all of our fans. But listeners. But I, most of my personal activity on Instagram, besides engaging with friends about pictures of their kids or their vacations, is I follow a lot of natural health sorts of people. And... I personally derive great benefit from it because, for example, there's a nurse in Texas who was a pediatric nurse and her husband had a ton of autoimmune issues and he started researching healing on autoimmune issues instead of being dependent on pharmaceuticals for his whole life. And he then eventually she left nursing and she 
you know, this is where it gets funny and mixed because she sells her own elderberry kits and to her followers and she sells doTERRA and she gets discount codes on things like air doctor air purifiers which we have one we didn't buy ours through her we bought ours through somebody else but they get a kickback for all of those things and you know what more power to somebody like her because just today you guys may or may not know that RSV is hammering kids across the country and there's various theories about why, but a lot of the pediatric ICUs are not full of kids with COVID. They're full of kids with RSV. And people are wondering if the fear and the masks and the lockdowns have weakened kids' immune systems so much because RSV season usually starts late November, December when everyone's inside and your our immune systems are weakened because we're not in the sun as much. There is a very definite... They're breathing the same stale air. Well, there's a very definite RSV season. Remember that time we had a kid during I do. RSV season? I do. I was doctor, just thinking if I should bring that up or not. And the doctor, we, we, we had, had to bring. Oh man, you guys! We had to bring two day old Titus. Talk about Titus, really good patient care. Our I mean, very first it. kid, and we were dazed and confused. First time parents with a two day old kid, and his two day doctor checkup. Because back then we had insurance, so we did well child checkups with our kids. Uh, his two day checkup That's a was. Interestingly, a lot of wealth, health and wellness natural people genuinely do. Because if you follow, if you look at the, oh man, we're going to lose followers of this. <laughs> if you look at the well child, if you look at the well child schedule, it exactly follows the CDC's immunization schedule. So yeah. you're literally just bringing your child in for shots and then they've got oh, yeah. all these like, other things to Let's check tell up. the really funny story anyway, about this So we bring doctor. Titus in. I can't remember the doctor's name right now. It's probably a Thankfully. good thing. It was a woman, and she's doing the urgent care uh, Saturday clinic that we had to bring him in for his two-day check. And she, first of all, we had never, ever brought a diaper bag anywhere because we had never left the house with our two-day-old infant yet. And... We forgot the diaper bag, and as two-day-old infants do, he pooped in his diaper while we were in there, and she chewed us out for not having a diaper to change him into, so you, I, you, I think, ran out to the car for the diaper bag, and we very, very meekly, feeling very abashed <laughs> at being terrible parents, and then she started, you guys, this is wild. We've told several people this, and they're like, what? This is like a 10 minute long run. She gave us this huge lecture about daring to have a child during RSV season because if he caught this virus, then she would have to do an IV through his head. And she's like picking up his arms, showing us how he doesn't have veins big enough to tap into on his arms or his feet or his legs. And so it would have to go in through and she's marking on his head because our kids are all born bald, this vein in his head. And it's very horrible for parents to see kids with needles in their in their kids' heads and and she her very own child dared to have a child during RSV season and she spent the entire winter terrified that her child would end up in that hospital with RSV and we were like uh we didn't really plan this like it it just kind of happened that we <laughs> had the kid in December like we didn't set out to ruin our child's life by having him in December oh man you and guys. there it, it it correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like there's a lot of people alive in the world today who have december birthdays and there's january been a, birthdays there's been a lot of people alive that go through a lot of all things sorts of and, stuff. Just, and i'm again i'm not denying 
the severity of RSV, just like I'm not denying the severity of COVID because I'm not a pandemic denier. <laughs> and, and there was definitely a pandemic there for a bit. And I, but, but the interesting thing is, okay, so getting back on track, this gal, her handle is purely Parsons. Her first name is Elizabeth. She's on Instagram. She shares a lot of things that she, she has five kids, including two infants. And what I found extremely helpful today is she did a series of slides on RSV and how she would treat it naturally. And then included in the slides was a video. It wasn't her own kid, but there's a particular way if you watch an infant's breathing that you know that their breathing is distressed. And another thing is if their nostrils are flaring while they're breathing. Flaring's a big indicator. For for adults and babies. But so she actually showed a video of a baby and she was like, look, I want parents to feel empowered because you don't need to run to the hospital for a kid, for a baby with every sign of a sniffle. You can do all these things at home for your kid. And they'll probably tell and, you, if you go to the hospital, they'll probably tell you to go home and call them in three days anyway. And here, and but the thing that I thought was great was she's not a denier. She's like, if your kid, if you look at your kid's chest and this particular pattern of breathing is happening, you need to take your child to the ER. And so I find people like that who are trying to empower other people with their health, whether it's with COVID or whether it's with RSV or whether it's just everyday diet, helping to keep your raise your kids healthy and strong and help, you know, keep your aging parents healthy and strong. I find tremendous benefit from the people that I follow on Instagram. And if they make money off of me using their discount code to buy their air doctor or whatever, more power to them because I've actually gotten tangible benefit from that person. What's interesting to me is I've had several conversations over the last few months with people who, because then the con, the con, the context of these conversations is free speech and Facebook censoring and Facebook owns Instagram. So Instagram censoring. And did you know that Facebook's COVID fact checkers, the company that did the fact checking. They work for the onion. No, it's funded by Pfizer. So Pfizer is providing Ugh. vaccination and COVID fact-checking for Facebook, essentially. Yeah. As though that's not a conflict of interest. And then, so so then if... Well, they, let's talk about Janet Yellen and the Fed and crypto right. and her speaking fees. Okay, speaking of... I want to move on. I can't handle this topic anymore. It's rising. My, my blood pressure is <laughs> rising. People are shutting off all over the place. So I want to bring up... What we were going to talk about, the major portion of the show, which unfortunately we discovered after last episode, that it's another hot button sticky issue. And we got, <laughs> we, we, we got, um, we got some pushback. We got some pushback, mainly because we're ignorant. the song El Shaddai, as known around the world by Amy Grant, having performed it. And was one... not written by Amy Grant, the original author and performer of the song El Shaddai, is Michael Card. And I know many of you who've been around at least as long as Molly and I, um, uh, which would be the 1900s, um, well, would be familiar <laughs> with Michael Card. Now, I'm going to take a side note. Um, it was oh. recently brought to our attention... Was this last Tuesday night that one of our friends' children 
have started referring to the previous century right. as the, the 1900s. 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> if anything makes you feel really, really old... Back when I was a kid in the 1900s. It's being your primary generation being referred to as the 1900s. <laughs> so from here on out, we are going to formally call everything the 1900s because it's freaking hysterical, <laughs> is what it is. So... Uh, back in the late mid to late, uh, back in the late 1900s, about the 19 probably 80, the late 70s, early 80s, um, of the 1900s. 1982. Okay, actually, I was close. I'm on um, I'm on Wikipedia right well, now. Was that was Whether that immigrants not, re-recording or Michael Card's? No, original? Michael Card released. Hold on. Hold cool. On, hold on. Michael Card recorded on his debut album in 1981. Uh. Amy Grant recorded it in 1982 on her platinum certified album, Age to Age. So here's the funny part. Oh, there's another funny part. Who who do you think produced the song? Chris Tomlin. Mm-mm. Brown Bannister. Oh, who Brown. Who is for Brown, those... he's legendary in the right. CCM world. But for our younger oh, listeners, boy, Anna, he is... Ellie Holcomb's mom, not father figure. He is the father. Yes. He's Ellie Holcomb's dad. Yes. Brown Bannister was like probably the single, at least when I was growing up, Brown was probably the the foremost record producer throughout, even through the early 2000s. In the the 1900s. In the 1900s. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Circling um, back. Circling back. So so I want to thank like Robert and Aaron and Anna and... Paul and everybody who's texted or emailed or messaged us about this song. Um, Because there's been some funny ones. Um, uh, Not everybody was funny, but, um, you know, Aaron says, she said, no idea what comes in the middle of those two phrases. I do. Da 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 Adonai. Somebody says they just generally kind of mumble Eric O'Connor and Kananai or something like that. Um, So we got some pretty funny. We got some pretty funny responses from people, which I really appreciate. Yes. Would you... Oh, I think my favorite, though, was Laura, who was just, like, left any semblance of Ericum Kambadabadaba, and was like, I just think, like, you're the apple of my eye, which rhymes with El Shaddai, right? By the way, we had a funny text exchange with Laura, who is our church's worship director and grew up in... Music director. Music director. And grew up in our... In our church, which has changed since changed denominations, but it's always been a reformed church. And she was like, I didn't even occur to me to do El Shaddai. And I was like, you know, that tell me you tell me you something without telling me you tell me for you're from Montana without telling me you're from Montana. Tell me you grew up in a reformed church without telling me you grew up in a reformed church. It wouldn't even occur to me to sing an Amy Grant song. And I said, look, I'm sorry. The only way we can have special music at our church is if it's done with one of those. Remember back in the 1900s? Those backing tracks, those cassettes that people would buy. Oh, yeah, I where do. Where they just strip out the lead vocal. Um, and then like, had, they had no, whole no, no. walls of them at the Christian I, bookstore. Yeah, I had Stephen Curtis Chapman's one for, what was it now? I can't I can't remember. I had a Stephen Curtis that one, and I can picture like a tie-dye cover on it, and I would sing it to myself. 
This is the great adventure. Is that Stephen Chris Chapman or Michael Saddle W. Saddle up your horses. That's, it, that's Michael W. Smith. No, that's that's Stephen Chris Chapman. Is it really? Yeah, okay. The great adventure. You know they sing that in that Netflix cheesy Christian show that I watched a while ago, right? <laughs> it's called A Week Away. And oh, they, they, yeah. oh, man. It oh. was actually... It, it, it's just as groan-worthy as you think, but it was oh. actually really funny to have music from the 1900s uh, set to like now the genre, the mu- the musical movie musical genre that is from the 21st century, and but it like when they arrive at camp, they're doing this cheesy. Everybody's doing a song and dance. And like the kid that doesn't, the non Jesus kid that doesn't want to go falls in love with the camp director's daughter and comes to Jesus. Did you watch this with me? No, you told me about it. Oh. I was just like, I can't handle it. I can't even. It's hilarious. Close to handling this right now. It's hilarious. So, anyway, back in the 1900s, they had those really cool little backing tracks. Uh And I told Laura, the only way we can do it is with one of those cassette tapes. You know, that whole industry disappeared. When you lost Christian bookstores, because now you couldn't go to the whole wall of racks and find your favorite radio and single. listen to the and listen and then like practice the with headphones with the sample. I think ones. I owned a couple. I don't remember which ones, but I had a couple that I would practice so I could do them as church music, and it just never, it never went well. There's it's and it never goes well. Like I've got a great idea, guys. Let's strip out the nationally known artist who can sing and input Joe Bob. From your local church who can't sing and do that for special music anyway. I don't know. I mean, sometimes sometimes they can sing. Now, sometimes. Now I'm really... It's rare. Dying. Everybody... I grew up Baptist, you guys. Small, And we're not talking uh, today's kind of hip contemporary. I'm talking... Jello mold. No, yeah. No no drinking, jello mold, potlucking, um, old ladies in floral dresses, pounding out bar tune hymns on the piano. Bar tune hymns. That well, that's is... that's what they they back in the in the early 1900s they said a lot of those hymns were written like just rewritten old bar tunes so that was well, kind of another yes that, so that was a, sort of kind true. of a joke okay I was just being okay somebody's um, gone, somebody's gonna be shot somebody's, up out there right, right. now um, okay so the song El Shaddai El Shaddai right the lyrics okay so it's what it is is El El Yan Na Adonai which, according to Wikipedia, if you want to believe Wikipedia... Don't you speak Hebrew? I read some Hebrew. Okay, so El Shaddai means God Almighty. I don't know this stuff. El Elyon Na'adonai is a combination of two names for God. El Elyon is God Most High, and then Adonai is my God, and apparently Na means please. So it seems like kind of a weird salad of Hebrew words. Kind of like, you know, you get the words with... Uh, kids get girls get tattoos with Japanese or Chinese <laughs> figures on them, and it's, that doesn't mean anything. Or you see a that means Chinese person wearing a a shirt with English words on it, and it says like potato chip or something, like, completely <laughs> meaningless. Um, so I don't quite understand why God Most High, potato please chip. my Lord, are are put in there. But anyway, that's there. So El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyon Na'adonai is the first one. And then the next one, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Er Kamka Na'adonai is based on Psalm 18.1, except for the Na, which is added again. 
doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But Erkamka means I love you, and then Adonai is my Lord. So I love you, so, my Lord. So is is the singer then, was, was Michael Card's intention then, uh, a please comma, my Lord? Or please, my Lord, like, I hope this pleases you. I think it's please as in please and thank you, which as I'm looking at it, oh, so it's a particle of entreaty translated please or I, we beseech you. So it's a, it's like a prayer to, the song is written like a prayer to God, which Michael then, Card certainly wasn't known as a heretic in his songwriting. He still isn't. Michael yeah. Card has some like fantastic... Crazy solid. He, and he's still, he's still producing fantastic stuff. But what was interesting is that I was... Michael, if you listen to the show... Right. Call us and We're talk fans. to us about it. Even if your children's albums. Well, back in, I mean, even though you're from the 1900s. So, so the rest of the song, I was actually, I was thinking about the lyrics while I was driving around doing errands a couple of days ago and going on the solid, it's, it's tremendously solid and profound. Yeah. The first verse, so I printed out all of it. And so the first one is for the most part on the, the, the chorus is worship age to age. You're still the same by the power of the name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Erkamka Na Adonai, which is the I love you, Lord. We will praise and lift you high, El Shaddai. So with the translation, it makes sense. And then the first verse, through your love and through the ram, you saved the son of Abraham. Through the power of your hand, you turned the sea into dry land. So again, here we're seeing this God Almighty, which is what El Shaddai means. To the outcasts on her knees, you are the God who really sees. Now we're in the New Testament. Uh... And, you know, again, God's power in seeing, you know, Jesus is the woman at the well or whatever story, other story this might mean. She's like, wow, you're you're truly God because you know things that only God mm-hmm. could know. And by your might, you set your children free, which you could take as a reference to the Exodus. You could also take it as a reference to all of us who are God's children who've been set free from sin and death. And then the next verse through the years, this is the one that I found like, wow. Through the years, you've made it clear that the time of Christ was near, though the people couldn't see. And apparently, Amy Grant changed it to though the people couldn't see. Michael Card had, though the Jews couldn't see, that what Messiah ought to be. Oh, interesting. They're playing that game way uh-huh. back, and then, back in the mid 1900s. Well, and then, and then Michael Card in subsequent versions of singing it also used the phrase people. So, mm. Though the people, so Jews would probably be more historically and, or at least biblically in context. Yes, because so the people couldn't see what Messiah ought to be. Though your word contained the plan, they could not understand. And we, so the uh, the whole the whole thing here is what was I just watching? Oh, I was watching. I started watching for the second time the American gospel documentary, Christ Crucified, which is part two. I had a girl's night last night and we were watch quote unquote, watched it for three hours and made it 25 <coughs> minutes into it because we kept pausing and talking about things. But one thing that one of the, one of the things that's interesting about this documentary is they go to 
people who are either in the process of deconstructing their faith, so progressives, or have thoroughly deconstructed their faith and are kind of, quote-unquote, discipling other people. So the Derek Webbs. So the, they don't... Uh, their main interview subjects are uh, Bart Campolo. They also interviewed Tony Campolo, who has not left their faith, but is pro... He's an affirming Christian. Uh, they don't interview Rob Bell, but they show clips of Rob That's Bell. That's because Rob Bell disappeared. And then what's the other, the other, oh, there's a couple more. The guy who founded the Emergent Church movement, Brian McLaren. So they have interviews with him. And then there's these two guys who have a podcast called The De- Deconstructionists. And and these guys, what's, what's kind of takes my breath away in this whole documentary is that these guys are saying things to a film crew that they know doesn't agree with them. And they're so confident in their own understanding. Think, think about Proverbs 3, 5. Do not be wise in your own eyes and trust in trust not in your own understanding, but fear the Lord. They are the polar opposite of this. They are wise in their own eyes. They trust in their own understanding and they are breathtakingly and I mean that very sincerely in their confidence of dismissing the truth of God's word. And this is the thing about in Romans when Paul says if you've known the goodness of God and you leave, it's a lot worse for you than if you've never tasted of God's mm-hmm. grace to begin with. And I, these guys, in their hardness of heart and their scoffing, embody that. And one of the questions that they have them asking is, what is the gospel? And they, they scoff again, and they laugh, and they say, what is the gospel? Well, it's certainly not Jesus died for your sins, because Jesus talks about the gospel, and he hadn't died yet. Oh, how could the gospel possibly be that Jesus died for your sins when Jesus says he's offering the gospel to the people and he's still alive? Your, Look at how your delivery just made me recoil. Like I was like, that this is how it comes across to me. Is just this, and it's just for them. It's just this trump card that makes all simple-minded Christians who believe that Jesus is offering the gospel beating that he is going to die and rise again for their sins, how simple-minded we who believe that's what the gospel is are. So they're like, I wouldn't even endeavor to define what the gospel is, but I know what it's not, and it's not Jesus died for my sins. Wow. And so what's fantastic that goes back to, to this song is... Is I would love to hear from any of you guys if you have teenagers and you've watched this is like a very small segment of our world. If you have teenagers or you work with teenagers and you've watched these shows with them, I would love to watch this with a teenager who's starting to engage with culture because they let these guys say things in their own words. And these guys are totally unabashed. And then they show these totally unashamed gospel preachers like Michael Horton and... I can't think of anybody else's name off the top of my head because I'm terrible <laughs> with names. But they have this whole series of people. Alistair Begg is another one of them. And they're like, the gospel is, is I think it's Alistair Begg who actually, just classic, classic biblical theology. The gospel is needed in Genesis 3. 
The gospel is predicted through the entire Old Testament. The gospel is revealed through Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry saying the kingdom of God is at hand. I am here. John the John the Baptist introduces Jesus by saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And anybody in the Jewish system knows how a lamb takes away sins. Right? He dies for the lamb dies for the sin. So when John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, he is saying, This guy is gonna die for sins from the very beginning. And Jesus throughout his entire ministry says, I'm going to set my face, eventually I'm going to set my face toward Jerusalem and I'm going to die for you. And the the disciples don't understand it. And when Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and save that, that which was lost, greater love has no man than this. And he lays down his life for his sins. But the, so the great thing about American gospel, the documentary is they have preachers like Alistair Begg laying things out and then, oh, and the other thing, no, I'm not going to go into this. But but he, Alistair Bake also points out that the epistles, so like letters from Paul and James and whatnot through the rest of the New Testament, are not contrary to Jesus. They are explaining Jesus' ministry, which apparently has to be said. <laughs> <laughs> that they're not, it's all red letter because it's all God saying it. And so then they actually show the Bible passage, and it's like there's an invisible highlighter highlighting the relevant passages. So they go straight to scripture and you see the words of God saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Or the in Isaiah, I bring good news, and it's that the shepherd will lay down his life for a sheep or whatever. I can't remember the exact passage in Isaiah that they quote. But I was, that goes back to the song, this fantastic song, El Shaddai, that through the years you made it clear that the time of Christ was near, that the people couldn't see what Messiah ought to be. Though your word contained the plan, they just could not understand your most awesome work was done through the frailty of your son. And the frailty is him completely turning upside down what people expected the Messiah would do and dying on a cross instead of conquering all of Israel's political enemies and setting up a here and now kingdom okay you talk for a second while i take a breath we and then need, i have more to talk about we need <laughs> to bring back el shaddai maybe we should bring back el shaddai i kind of had this funny thought about it earlier um the modern day equivalent of getting songs confused like this is uh our generation's um uh chris tallman andrew andrew peterson song it is fit not it is finished. Oh. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Everybody knows the Chris Tomlin radio version, but nobody knows the original Andrew Peterson. Oh, that's version. true. Yeah. So it could be it could be one of those things where everybody's familiar with the guy who made it huge rather than the original. But that happens all over the place. There's a lot of really great songs that aren't uh written the same way. That's true. And a lot of a lot more people than I ever realized write songs for other people. Yes. It's, it's how you can make really good money by being a songwriter. Some people don't even want to be artists. They just want to write the music that other people sing. And some people just want to sing and not write the music. It's all good. Yes. So now that I've caught my breath, last Tuesday night in our children's worship night, I feel like we touched on this because last Tuesday we had to 
stop rec- we, we didn't have to we stopped recording on a moment's notice because, because we, we lost had power. power failure yeah. and we finished the next day after we had done our our kids worship thing where we talked about your kingdom come your will be done not your will be done that's tonight your kingdom come and what does it mean to say to god in prayer your kingdom come and i think that this song touches on that too because we can be so blind in what we expect God's kingdom or God's saving power to look like. And it's easy for us now with all of our, with the whole scripture and all of our lofty knowledge to be baffled at the blindness of the Jews who watched Jesus do the miracles. And, you know, Jesus says, even if someone were to be raised from the dead, you still would not believe. And we look at it and go, Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. And they still don't believe. And they have. Jesus didn't know he was going to be raised from the dead of then. Of course so. he did. We have hard. Well, you missed the, ch- <laughs> the joke from the American Gospel. Never oh. Mind. Yeah. Never mind. Not the right You haven't watched mind. it. You should watch it. Just go ahead. Uh, so <clears throat> I, I think that we in modern America could do well to spend some time meditating on what our expectations of God as king and God in our present kingdom Hmm. uh, expect his kingdom to look like. And I'm not talking about Christian nationalists who merge America and Christianity and believe that we're somehow the fulfillment of prophecy or that we are a special chosen nation in some way, because I don't believe that. I know that there are a lot of people who do, and they should be corrected. I, however, think that in more subtle ways, we experience the expectations of what God ruling in our present world and in our personal lives, what we think that should look like. And he chooses to not act in the way that we expect him to show his power. And as human beings, we are, I think, oriented in our sinful capacity to feel not necessarily, we don't necessarily believe that might makes right. But might makes things a whole lot easier. And so even even as we grieve the way American culture is going right now, part of what we're grieving is the loss of cultural supremacy, for lack of a better word, of the Christian moral majority and the fact that being a Christian in America has gotten harder and will probably continue to get harder. Who knows what Christianity in America will look like in 10 or 15 years, given how fast things have changed in the last five years. And will churches be underground? Uh, Maybe not entirely, but maybe they won't look like they do. Will they have lost tax-exempt status? I think that's very possible within the next three years. and so, and that that changes how churches are funded that changes then what the buildings will look like that changes optics and we 
I think we have this internalized prosperity gospel because it resonates so well with how our hearts work, that we want a victorious conquering king who's healing diseases and things like that in our lives right now instead of understanding what an upside down kingdom what a hidden kingdom looks like right now and that was what when we were talking with the with the kids about the Westminster Catechism what what is the kingdom of God right now and it's invisible it's visible in God's wherever Jesus the king is with his people that's where the kingdom of god is and that's how it's visible right now but i think we have to constantly be battling this idea that that we expect jesus the king to be working in a certain way Mm -hmm. or that if we just had a little bit more cultural power or if jesus would just do i mean for example watching american gospel I'm like, man, it would be really cool if he just struck them with lightning right now because they are so <laughs> heretical and so conceited. And, uh, you know, he doesn't need to because they're going to hell. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I they're, they certainly are denying fundamental things. It's interesting. There's there's a lot of fuzziness and blurriness between what at least in my experience of the American church right now, there it's hard to tell the difference sometimes between people who are embracing expressions of Christian compassion and justice that I don't necessarily agree with in terms of practice as well as in terms of how they're founded, but they're genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. And the prosperity gospel wolves in the flock or the truly progressive leading people away from the true gospel. Like I am not, I'm truly not going to name names now, but I had, I had a seminary professor who, who has now gone to the point of denying a historical Adam and Eve, which denies a historical fall, which denies the entire Bible's definition of, of sin. And that begs the question of why did you, who was Jesus and why did he come? And the answer that he gives is Jesus was a really compassionate God who came and really felt our pain and is among us. But it, eventually it blurs into this Rob Bell love wins because we have an impotent God who can't mete out justice to true evil. And I actually think, I was thinking about this today, and I'm not going to give any context publicly <laughs> for why I was thinking about this. <laughs> this is going to be exciting, guys. I've not heard this yet. <laughs> no, I was thinking today, there are so many really angry people in our world right now. This is objectively true. If you look at instances of people getting really violent on airplanes, there's this hilarious parody of a flight attendant going around right now where just this last week some passenger got really unruly and was trying to grope female flight attendants breasts and things like this and so a male flight attendant duct taped the guy to the street to the chair for the rest of the flight because he was so he was drunk and he was so unruly and so this parody where this guy is like "Mm, like i can't even do the sound effects this is 
big black guy, hilarious, and he does these fantastic sound effects for the duct tape coming off of the roll, uh, and then wrapping the duct tape around. I mummified that guy, you know, in duct tape, and but there has been a certifiable in previous years, maybe one or two people per year would get removed from airplanes for mm-hmm. crazy angry outbursts at things not going their way. And now it's a regular occurrence. And anecdotally, we've talked to several people recently who have family members who've really been committed either by default or by their own personalities with the pandemic who've been committed to a lot more isolation than we have. I'll say that. And and they feel like these people are more prone to anger outbursts than hmm. they had been in the past. And amusing on why that's possibly been the case. And I wonder, I wonder if this is what I was wondering about today. You look at the progressive worldview and there's no way to deal with the injustices in our world. And this is not a new thought to me. I'm actually piggybacking this off of Miroslav Volf's book, Exclusion and Embrace. And he he was a survivor of genocide in the Balkans. And he's from... Oh, where's he from? Where's Miroslav Volf from? I can't remember. I don't remember. I should know. Somewhere in the Balkans. I'm going to Google it while I talk. He... Do you want me to Google it while you talk? No. He... Yeah, you probably should. Um, I typed it wrong. So Miroslav Volf, in his book Exclusion and Embrace, he says the reason that cycles of ethnic violence can, like he experienced in his experience in the Balkan Wars, is at some point one of the sides that's been wronged stops retaliating and says, I'm going to absorb the wrong that's done to me. And his thesis in Exclusion and Embrace is the only way that you can absorb the wrong that's been done to you without feeling the need for revenge is if you believe that there's an ultimate source of justice. And so for him, in in halting the cycles of violence, in... Gen- in ethnic genocides, like in the Balkans, like in, uh, now I'm, shoot, what's the place in Africa? Hotel, hotel, oh, come on. The, the genocide, the ethnic genocide in Africa. And there's a movie about it where they hide all the people. Dang it. You remember... Uh, we don't watch movies anymore. I know, but this was this is a fab, this is a really famous oh. well, Rwanda you... Hotel Rwanda. Oh, Hotel Rwanda. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Did you find where Miroslav? Yeah, he's time? Croatian. Croatian. Okay. So anyway, the the whole point of this is he believes that a doctrine of hell is tremendously important for putting away bitterness and vengeance against someone else because if you can't achieve justice in this life, you can believe that justice will be served eternally. And in the progressive worldview, I'll just the con- the only context I'll give to you is I I was interacting with what I interpreted to be a somewhat angry progressive. And and then and even in some of these these interviews in American Gospel, there's this bitter 
edge and their their laugh is not a laugh of joy and a peaceful laugh it's this bitter kind of edgy laugh and maybe i don't know but maybe not believing believing that love wins and there's no hell and there's no eternal punishment for sin which means there's no ultimate justice justice has to be served here on this earth or there is no justice at all and i think look we're raising little kids deep deep in all of our hearts from a very young age is a belief that life should be fair (laughs) yes grammy right now has our three older kids at a friend's pool swimming and three-year-old faith is taking a nap and she cried herself to sleep because it was not fair that the others got to go swimming and she had to go to bed. She said, I hate my bed and I don't doubt it because it is legit not fair. Now, were all of our other kids taking naps almost every afternoon during their the, their third year of life? Or I guess it's her fourth year of oh, life. Yes. yes, absolutely. In fact, she has probably skipped more naps at this age than all of our other kids combined because we're out doing interesting things. We're swimming at the park. We're on road trips. We're skiing. And we didn't do that much when we had that many, a a critical mass of kids who needed their naps. So she skips more naps, but as far as she's concerned, life is not fair. And she has embedded deep in her a desire for justice and for fairness. And I think that that's a God-given desire. It's part of what keeps you mentally healthy in believing that there is justice, if not in this world, that there is a sovereign God who is making things just and will make everything just in the end. And I don't know. Now that I've articulated that hypothesis, I'm going to be viewing the lens, the my interactions online for the next couple of weeks through that lens and seeing if I think that maybe there's a little bit of truth to that, that although where are we at time wise? Over an hour. Oh man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This show has, I didn't have anything planned to talk about today besides El Shaddai. This, this show (laughs) has flown by. I was looking at the clock on the record clock and I was like, Man, Whoops. we're at like 40 minutes and wow, this show has flown by. We would love, Molly specifically, would love to hear your thoughts on that last, on that last hypothesis, um, hypothesis of hers. And look at it. Okay. I will just say this in closing. Today is the day that Andrew Cuomo resigned as governor, governor of, of New, New York. York State. Do you see people who believe that he has wronged people believing that this is just. That's where I was going to go with this. In light of current events, all the current events in the world, I even, I'll just say this, I read blogs or Instagram posts that go viral of moms, for example, in New York State, who see moms like me with my kids, not masked and playing in rivers and running around, and they believe that it's unfair, that my kids are living a, are living out their childhood and their kids have not seen an unmasked adult face in over a year and their parks are still closed. And I know this isn't the case universally, but I just read within the last week the post of a mom 
in New York State who was totally fed up because she felt like her children were being robbed of a childhood and she sees posts of people in more open states whose kids are living life like kids and she resents it. And how does a view of life should be fair, there's ultimate justice, or is there ultimate justice, resonate with how we interpret our everyday experiences with current events? There you go. I can't even, I thought about writing that down and putting it in the show notes, but I'm just not even, I'd have to go back and listen to it. Yes. So if you want to interact with Molly on that one, you can do so a variety of ways. You can email us at tb2f at pm.me, tb2f at papamike.me. You can send us a message on Instagram. You can send us a postcard on our website, www.toobusytoflush.com, all grammatically spelled. You can also uh, finally send me a text message, and I'll forward it on to Molly at 406-318-7136. So... Reach out to us there. We'd love to hear from you anyway. Even Thanks if you don't for listening to, to Over an Hour of Rambling. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us and joining us. It's always, um, we're super grateful. It's always a really, um, you guys bless us by showing up and listening to our show every week. And that's super great. Um, love having you around. Too bad we couldn't be friends with all of you personally. That'd be super fun. But um, but with this van that Jared just put lovely windows in, maybe we can be friends in person. We can do a tour. Ooh, too busy to flush a van tour. <laughs> Um, we can do live shows from the van, and you guys can be there on our show. That'd be fun. We can talk to all of our fans. We can bring all of our fans oh, on the show. Hilarious. Who else does that? Nobody. So, anyway, love to hear from you guys. Please give us a shout if you have some time. Otherwise, we are going to um, head out of here and prep for our Tuesday night family worship, and Molly's going to make dinner. Did you want to share this recipe, or was this yesterday? That was, I think that was my oh, husband last time. Man, this is such a good recipe, though. You guys... Uh, Molly's not going to do it. Molly has a no-bake energy bites recipe. I don't know where she got it. But it is so stinking good. It's basically like eating cookie dough, but it's healthy. So I'm staring at it right now. And you're going to post the recipe? I am going to post the recipe on our blog. Okay. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I don't know where... Do you have... Where did this originally come from? Uh, If you print a recipe out, it usually has the source of it. Oh, it doesn't. It's... I can find it. It's, it's not our recipe, but we'll just... No, but it's a common, it's a common, fairly it's, popular food blog that okay. I got it from. It's a common, fairly popular food blog. We'll post, re- repost it on our blog. We'll give cred back to her. No doubt it's a woman. Was that sexist to me immediately call her her? I think it's a woman. Um, But they're amazing. You guys have to, they're just awesome. Like, I'm going to be having Molly make these for hunting and when I go skiing, and it's going to be great. So, anyway, that said, hey, have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you next week. 